Welcome to the Defeat the Stigma podcast. My name is Kevin Chem, along with Elizabeth Smith and Brianna Cornell. Uh, today our guest is Ray Sahab. Ray, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. How are you? Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, so we just like to have the guests kind of introduce themselves first. Could you uh, do that for us? Yeah, my name's Ray Zahab, and uh, geez, I don't know what's I, I, you know. It's, it, I always feel like I'm reading an obituary when I have to. Describe <laughs> yeah, I guess so that. I, I, you know, I'm I'm an ultra marathon runner. I'm an adventurer, and um, I'm uh, the founder of the nonprofit organization Impossible to Possible. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's basically like my title. I mean, what it is <laughs> that I do. You know, I'm an adventurer. I you know I love I love doing long expeditions. Um, Mostly running-based expeditions or foot-based, if you will, a mix of unsupported, you know, when I'm in the coldest places of the planet, I'm unsupported and self-contained. And I've also ran across deserts and, you know, entire deserts, including, for example, the Sahara, the Atacama, the Gobi. And in those cases, I'm I'm supported, but minimally. So, you know, I guess, you know, I guess that's sort of what I'm doing. And then I and then the thing that I'm mostly passionate about is the nonprofit organization Impossible of Possible which Brianna, who is with us, is um, uh, one of our ITP Youth Ambassadors. Um, Impossible to Possible is an organization that takes young people on expeditions all over the world uh, into the most remote places you can imagine. And, and they're running-based expeditions, once again, and these, these expeditions connect to classrooms, um, a curriculum that is based on the region that we're traversing. So it's this, it's this really cool and different philosophy on education, combining it with adventure, and uh, and it's 100 percent free. Hmm. So have you always been an adventurer your whole life, or did this start a little later? No, definitely. I mean, you know, it, I, I started out. Uh, I started out. I guess you could say my adventure career later than 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 <laughs> most people were. I was not a lifelong athlete hmm. uh, in any way, stretch, or form. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, in my younger days, I'm, I'm Canadian. I live up here in, in Canada. Where are you guys again? I forget. Uh, Two Where of us are in Minnesota, and then Brianna there is in Arizona. No, I'm in Arizona. Yep. Okay, so Brianna in Arizona. Well, Minnesota, you guys, I mean, hockey is so important, right? And oh, I was, definitely. you know, for us, hockey's like, it's like a religion up here, and I, I never really learned to skate very well. So I was like a <laughs> not an active, mm-hmm. in that sense, an active kid. I grew up on a small farm. We had horses, that kind of thing. But I was not an athlete of any kind, and I had this huge uh, fear of gym class as a kid because of the... You know, I just was not, I couldn't throw a ball, wasn't a team sports kind of guy. And, you know, spent my, you know, my, my entire school career, if you'd call it that, you know, with great anxiety when it came to doing anything really physical in, 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 a, in like the gym setting, whatever. And so it wasn't until my late 20s when I made a decision that I needed to finally change my life. I was living, you know, just an unhappy life. People, you know, I tell this, I, I say this all the time, but. You know, people go through low points in their lives. Every single person um, that you know or I know goes through a low point in their life, and and it's relative. I mean, it's the way you feel when you're feeling your lowest. You feel like the world is ending, right? I mean, it's a very relative situation. You can't compare your situation necessarily to someone else's. Um, you just feel bad when you feel bad. And so I was sort of, you know, in a low point in my life, and feeling like things were just not going the way I wanted to, and I didn't know what I was going to do about it. And um, I have a brother who, thankfully, my younger brother, John, who would, you know, uh, eventually, I would say this, he would eventually become the greatest inspiration I would have. He um, was an athlete and he was doing things like triathlons and riding his mountain bike and 
trail running. And I was very inspired by that. And I was inspired by the fact that someone could become so fit and change their 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 whole vibe, the way they felt about themselves, the way that they perceived their limitations in life. And I thought, geez, you know, if I could just feel a little bit like he did, maybe my life would be different. So to answer your question in a very long way, <laughs> when I, you know, when I finally sort of relayed my eyes on my brother and and realized that that could be a way out, that's when I changed, changed my life and became an endurance athlete. So did that start with ultra running? <laughs> no, right it away, didn't. Or? You know, ironically, <laughs> ironically, it didn't. You know what it started with? It started with, I don't know if you guys remember something called the Eco Challenge, but the Eco Challenge was an adventure race that used to be they used to be on TV in 1997, 1998. And that was the first <laughs> exposure I had to the kind of things that my brother was doing. Huh. And I was inspired by these people that would go out and do these multi-day, multi-discipline feats of endurance. The Eco Challenge could be up to 10 days long. You know, mm-hmm. re, you know you're in the middle of nowhere navigating and doing and, and being adept at so many different sports. And, you know, my brother, he was adept at these sports. He was doing these things. So for me, when I, I, I quit a pack-a-day smoking habit and, and followed in his footsteps, the first sports that I got involved with uh, in the early 2000s were uh, mountain biking, and I became a competitive mountain biker, and um, I became a passionate ice climber, and my brother was a great climber. So ultra running didn't start for me until early 2004. My very first running race ever was a 100-mile race in the Yukon called the Yukon <laughs> Arctic Ultra. And so, um, you know, I did a bunch of tons of mountain bike racing and adventure racing between 2000 and 2003, but I'd never done sort of a organized running race of any kind. So I did the I did the Yukon Arctic was my first race. And ironically, I won it. I mean, I was I'd never won anything in my entire life. Right? And I entered this first running race, which was the Yukon. And I was so sure that I, that I must have done something wrong, that it was impossible. There's no way I could have possibly have won this race. I must have done something wrong, went off course or something. I, it took me like, you know, a month after to convince myself and believe that I actually did wow. it. Yeah, anyhow. Yeah. The rest of this is history. <laughs> so from there, how did you get to like the big, like running across deserts? Well, you know, because at the time when I when I did the run in the Yukon, the reason I chose to do that run at all was because I read a magazine article about ultra runners. And what impressed me so much about these ultra runners, me not being a runner at the time, remember, I was a mountain biker. And the idea, the notion of even running a marathon was an absurd distance in my mind. I mean, why the hell would you run 42 kilometers, 26 miles? I mean, I just could not get my head around how anybody could run that far, right? Riding a mountain bike for 24 hours made more sense to me than running 26 miles. So mm-hmm. when I read this article about people running 100 miles, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, there's got to be something that you're learning about yourself in doing something like this. Like, it can't just be the feat of endurance or the athletic, you know, the act of athleticism of doing an ultra. There's the reason why people do these things, because it just it just would hurt too much. There's just there's got to be something more to it. And so for me, when I took that on, I wanted to know what it was that these people knew that gave them the courage to enter a race like that of any kind, a hundred miler or an ultra marathon of any kind. Who are these people and what is it they know about themselves that gives them the confidence to go and do something like this? Because I was the kind of guy that for the first 30 years of my life talked myself out of doing things for fear of what may or may not happen. Right. Like I was one of those people I actually made a post about that today on my Instagram that I remember very, very distinctly 
not doing things for fear of what others would think or how it may turn out. And so in an ultra marathon, these people are choosing to do these things, knowing full well there's a good chance they aren't going to finish. So, I mean, why? So you got to be getting something out of it. So that's why I entered the Yukon. And so to answer your question again in a very long way, <laughs> I, I went on to do – after winning the Yukon, I had no idea how I did this thing, how I finished, how I started out feeling so crappy in the first 50 miles and then in the last 50 miles – feeling actually better than I did in the first 50 and feeling confident in a way that I never had before and learning things about myself in a way that I never had before that running would become such a great teacher. And so I decided the only way I was going to learn how I did that was to go and do more ultra marathons. Cause I had no idea how I did it. And so I entered a bunch of races and half of them happened to be in deserts and then I <laughs> fell in love with deserts. And so that's how it started. Can I rewind a little bit here? This is Elizabeth. Hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Um, it, I mean, a pack a day life changing to like mountain bike, mountain bike racing, ice climbing and ultra running. Like that's, those are some big jumps. Like what on a day to day basis got you kind of in a completely shifted lifestyle? Um, getting off the couch, getting out the door. Um, I know there's a lot of people trying to change their life and your life is pretty amazing now, but like early days, those can be some of the challenging points. At least you know me. what? I, I, I'll tell you what. I, I, again, I go back to this thing. A great question, Elizabeth. And I, I go back to this thing where, you know, the way you feel, you've had a low point, I guess, in your life, right? At some point. Oh, yeah. You've gone through. Yeah. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about when I say <laughs> you try to describe, you try to describe how you feel to someone else yeah. and you can't really describe it. You just can't really describe the sadness that you feel or the inadequacy that you feel or some of those feelings that are so personal and embarrassing that you don't even want to share them with anyone else. Right. Well, everybody goes through that. That's not a unique thing to one person. I think everybody or a lot of people do at some point go through something like that. Right. So I think the way I looked at it from my perspective was I was like, what the hell? I mean, I got nothing to lose, but to try. Uh -huh. yeah. And so my whole theme was when I, when I went from a to B, the very first run, I remember, I remember running my first five K. Okay. So it took me a long time to work, you know, even off the mountain bike to run yeah. three miles was hard to do without right. taking a walking break. Cause running is completely different. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just was like harder. It seemed, you know, in some ways it was just different. And so, I remember when we ran across this, I'm gonna, this will make sense in a second. When we finished running across the Sahara, 4,500 miles later, the same way I felt at the end of running the Sahara was exactly how I felt when I completed my first 5K training run. It was the same mm -hmm. sense of elation and happiness. So when I started everything, when I decided I was going to take first steps, right, mm -hmm. I gave myself very, very reachable goals. I think the biggest mistake we make when we want to make a change in our lives is we set ourselves up with these massive initial goals. And if there's any bump along the way in the road, we give up. Instead yeah. of saying, you know what? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to try and be happy. Like something simple like that, right? I'm going to find uh. one thing. I'm going to find one thing where I wake up and the glass is half full. I'm going to find one reason or one thing in my day that I think is awesome. Like I'm gonna, and I'm going to identify that one thing. Instead of talking about the 10 crappy things, I'm going to talk about the one great thing that happened that day. And mm -hmm. I'm going to dwell on that a little bit. And so it was like little things like that. And then eventually 
like I said, because I love smoking. I mean, I, smoking to me was not, I said this so many times, it wasn't an addiction. It was like a passion. Like I really liked smoking and drinking, <laughs> drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and, and, and drinking coffee. It just was so good to get. So for me to quit smoking was going to be a very difficult thing. And so I set a further goal of like, I would give myself a certain amount of time. And on the day that I would smoke my last cigarette, it would be my last one. I wow. convinced myself. I worked up to it and I said, that's going to be it. And were you able to stick to that? Yeah, totally. Oh, I mean, my it was goodness. really hard for me, though. It wasn't, it was easy. It, I, I would say <laughs> quitting smoking is one of the hardest things I've ever done, for sure. Because, right. and I've, again, there, you know, there you go again with the relativity thing, because I've talked to other people that have said to me, big deal. It took me like a day and I quit smoking. I was like, it took me oh, three man. years oh, my to work up to the day. So <laughs> it's about, it's about setting realistic daily uh, you know not yeah. making it over dramatic it's just like doing one thing at a time that gets you in the direction i've had people that come to me and say i've never ran before but i want to run an ultra but i can't run 5k well because you because you haven't gone out and tried that mm-hmm. what you need to do is get out and run for one minute your first run doesn't need to be more than a minute that's all right. you need to do run for a minute right but yeah. nobody would ever think of that right away or, when they think they think yeah. the first run's got to be five or ten k okay there's going to yeah. be those people that do that but you can get out there and just run for a minute and it's better than not running any minutes right you know absolutely absolutely sometimes just getting out the door is like the the biggest hurdle even if it's maybe like you plan on running your 5k but you're getting out for a walk to begin with sometimes just exactly. getting out that front door you have to set those reachable goals that's really that's really helpful. Totally. I'm completely impressed <laughs> that you were able to quit smoking. I set a goal for 2017 that I was going to quit biting my nails, but I also gave myself an out that if I failed, it was okay. I had the full year to do it. <laughs> so yeah. like the fact that you were actually able to like really for real do it, I'm like completely impressed by. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I along the way when I first when I first made the choice that I was going to change my life, I said, "Okay, I'm going to quit smoking." And then I didn't. Right. Like okay. I, mean, I, okay. I, I was, you know, smoking half, half, half smoked, you know, you'd be at a party and I, and I'd finish other people's cigarettes kind of, uh, yeah. but you know, when I made the fun, when I, when I, when I had in that time period, that was, a, that okay. was within the first few months of commitment, 1997 ish. Sure. But when I said, okay, no new year's Eve, 99, I'm smoking my very last cigarette, no more fake in it, no more, you know, uh, acting like I quit smoking, but I didn't, or acting like I'm going to, I'm living a different lifestyle, but I wasn't. And then I, and you know, then I just made it happen. Right. So it sounds like when you were finally ready, yeah, when you were finally ready to make, you didn't make the abs, you set a realistic goal for yourself. You gave yourself some time to actually get to a point where you thought you could actually achieve that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What I did was when I said to myself, I got to make a change in my life. And then, you know, throughout that first year where I was like one foot in the pool, one foot out, and then by the end of that first year of like starting to take on some of the stuff my brother was doing, he was showing me some stuff. I said, okay, this is it for sure. New Year's Eve, 99, last cigarette. You know? Awesome. Awesome, awesome. That is awesome. Um, I actually have a couple of questions from Julio. Um, he's not here to ask them, but I will ask them for him. Um, so what inspired you to create Impossible to Possible? Well, you know, that's a great question. I mean, for me, I think um, when we reached the edge of the Red Sea, you know, after this, you know, 4,500 mile run that Charlie, Kevin and I did, uh, to me, I had clarity that in this 111 days that it took us to run across the Sahara, I learned so much when I was there. And it was, um, it was amazing because a run, an adventure, if you will, became a learning tool. 
And I, you know, I barely got out of high school. I dropped out of community college. I mean, I was one of these people that, I mean, I just never had great marks. I just never cared about school. I never cared about learning. But here I am in the Sahara, passionate about learning because I'm doing something that I love doing. And I thought, well, geez, that makes like perfect sense. Why wouldn't you use an adventure as a learning tool? So I learned about people of North Africa, the water crisis. I learned about the environment in North Africa. I learned about the geography. I learned a ton about North Africa through this running adventure. And I also learned that I had the capacity to learn, that I had an appetite to learn, and I wanted to learn. Now, the only hitch is that I'm middle-aged when I'm figuring all this out. So wouldn't it be nice if I would uh, – or if, if, or wouldn't it have been cool if I knew what I knew then at 17? Now, you know, I always say this, that I have no regrets, you know, because things wouldn't have gone the way they did if I didn't live the life I did. But what I decided, my wife Kathy and I decided was that, you know, and, and, and soon after I came up with the idea of my buddy Bob Cox, the three of us got together and we said, look it, let's make impossible possible and we'll create expeditions that are based on the running the Sahara sort of model. We'll use the mediums of film and satellite to share these expeditions with classrooms and will give 17, 18, 19 year olds the opportunity to see through the challenge of doing an expedition and through the uh, capacity of sharing their expedition that every person has the ability to do something amazing in their lives. And you don't have to wait. No, not that there's anything wrong with being 40 and figuring <laughs> it out. But, you know, if we can give a 17 year old that opportunity to realize mm -hmm. what a lot of us know later on, that'd be really cool. So that's why we started it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know about Impossible to Possible. I just watched the movie Running the Sahara, and that's what inspired me to start pursuing ultra running. Um, yeah. Um, I love Impossible to Possible. I'm a bit biased, though. <laughs> yeah, you're biased. Uh, <laughs> um, so what keeps you motivated to keep Impossible to Possible up? Because it's been going for a number, number of years now, and having... Um, typically the model in the past has been to have one ex youth expedition in the fall and one in the spring or timed about there. That's a lot of work. Um, so yeah, it depends, how do you depends keep... on this. How do we Sorry. keep going? How do we keep was... going? It, it, depend, it depends on the, like the style of the year, like, you know, you know, the size of the expedition, we have a huge Canadian, it's Canada's 150th birthday this year. We have a big Canadian youth expedition happening this year where we're taking, uh, six international youth ambassadors. We're bringing them to Canada, and they're going to spend 13 days running through all 13 provinces and territories. Um, and as they do, they'll connect with 13 Canadian youth ambassadors. It's huge, huge project that we've got going here. So that'll be the main focus this year. And then in the fall this year, we'll do some ITP youth camps, which will prepare them for uh, future youth expeditions. But, you know, what keeps me going is I'm passionate about this. I'm a dad. I, we have two daughters. And, you know, I want my kids growing up knowing that they can do extraordinary things. But, you know, as you know, Bree, this is this is like it's a job, but it's not. It's 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 it, I'm, I'm a volunteer for starters with Impossible to Possible. And I do this because I love it. And it's purposeful for me. I, you know, and it feels like this is every person eventually finds uh, or hopefully they find what they, you know, what their, what their reason is or what their purpose is and what it is that they love to do. You find passion in life. That's one of the critical pieces or the, you know, one of the critical secrets in life is to find something that you're passionate about. And this, this is, I'm very passionate about adventure and giving young people the opportunity to do the things that I do. 
For sure. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I've had the, the privilege and um, to be able to help uh, with some of the youth expeditions beyond just the one that I participated in. And, and the ones that I've actually like helped, um, like the Death Valley expedition, just mm-hmm. you can see it in their faces um, and just the energy of the whole expedition. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing. I love what you do. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, and you and you know because, and you know, look, just look at your own life. I mean, you were in Botswana with us on the. Please tell me I got that at youth expedition, yes. right? Yes, you did. And um, you know, and and you know, you had your ups and downs in that expedition, but you left that expedition stronger, and with a tremendous will, you go on to be the youngest woman or youngest person, period, to complete Badwater, right? Youngest woman, ultra marathon. Youngest, youngest woman, woman to complete Badwater. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's no small feat. That's a huge thing. That's huge. That's a huge accomplishment amongst all the other things that you're doing, uh, you know, with your academics and everything else that you went on to do. So, I mean, the point being is that, you know, through experiences, we grow. Any experience that we have, we grow. And it doesn't have to be an I2P youth expedition. It could be anything. I think that people, that's the beauty of running. That's the, There's a simplicity in running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody knows that. And I think this entire group here, all of us would agree that if you're having a bad day, what do you need to do? Go for a run. What happens? You feel better. It's so simple. You know, so simple. So in, in, in life, you know, when, when you have, and, and running can be one of these things, it's almost a, you know, it's a, it's symbolic of what you can do in your life, you know? And when you find something, you know, uh, like through running, you find even the simplest things that you can derive a passion from. It's life changing. Right. So, right. You've um, even though you said you got a later start, um, a later um, start to, to the sport and involvement in it. You have done so much as an athlete, as an explorer and adventurer and as um, basically uh, an educator uh, <laughs> And with impossible to possible, and you do these expeditions for on your own, um, like you were in the Arctic again this year. Um, I didn't know if there's any experiences that you wanted to speak to there, but um, where do you see the momentum carrying all of these experiences and expeditions with impossible to possible and yourself into the future? Wow, that's a you know that's a good question. I, you know, what, uh, for starters, with Impossible Possible, obviously we're we're working on expanding the program, um, engaging with more young people, getting more. Um, you, now we've been around long enough that you know youth ambassadors like you have gone through the program, and now you guys are becoming the mentors and the teachers uh, of the organization. So I, that's something we've always looked forward to. That's not something that you can speed along. Uh, you just need time. Time is the only thing that makes that happen. And so you guys are starting to do that. That That's a huge critical piece for us of what we see our future doing. Also, you know, uh, investing more and in fundraising more so that we can, you know, conduct more of these youth-based expeditions in different parts of the world. We've created satellite organizations. We have one in Italy and one in Chile that we're working with. So, you know, translation into different languages. We're trying to do all kinds of cool and different stuff there, but also trying to make the program is interesting and different as possible each time and you know so reinventing how we deliver the program and utilizing social media more you know my expeditions themselves i mean you know this was a huge arctic expedition that i was on it was 
basically a month long and an attempt at traversing three regions of the Canadian Arctic unsupported, uh, one on foot, one on skis and one on fat bikes. And so, you know, it was a tremendous challenge. The, the first part of the expedition didn't go as planned. I ended up, uh, you know, going into water, uh, you know, people could find out more information about it. Uh, but I broke through river ice and, um, was almost swept away actually. And that was a pretty serious situation. And, um, you know, but we got through it and we continued on the expedition and completed the second two stages. You know, and I think from that, uh, you know, it's these things you don't anticipate in expeditions. It's these things you don't anticipate in an adventure that lend themselves to the next ex- expedition or next adventure. So from that adventure, we had such a great audience that developed because we wanted to follow and see what would happen next, right? And I think that and most of our audience being youth, we were able to once again hit home that message that, hey, look at Sometimes you have setbacks, but you got to hang on to what you're doing. You got to hang on to that goal and, and persevere. And so that would be the takeaway from this expedition to answer your second part of your question. Yes, I think that's an awesome takeaway. So, Ray, OK, so you're talking about going on these long month long expeditions and, you know, crazy stuff happens like you fall through water or something like that. Um, how do you get through low, you know, like rough patches? Um, you know, whenever in your, you're in the middle of one of these adventures, is there like a voice in your head just telling you to keep going? Do you not even have to think about uh, quitting? Or Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Again, it's it's not something that's a conscious, um, like sort of a conscious effort. You know, you I've done 15 uh, expeditions, major expeditions since running the Sahara, mm-hmm. uh, and probably the same in youth expeditions, you know. So there's there's been a tremendous number of, of trips and every time you learn something new obviously but you know the the low points are more infrequent in the sense of i i chose to go and do this right i chose to go and do this expedition and and i chose to be there so i guess the low points are relative i mean when it's obviously when it's something sketchy that happens like i deal with getting washed away in a frozen river mm-hmm. i mean you know you 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 stop for a minute i mean you're like wait a second i mean you know like it, it was a it was a really tricky situation. I was hypothermic, um, you know, and, and things could have gone awfully, awfully wrong. You know, that was a low point where I thought, geez, is there any point in even continuing and doing the second stages? I mean, what is even the point at this point? But, you know, you, you remember why it is that you do these things or the, you remember uh, why it is that I do these things. And at the end of the day, it's in support of impossible possible. And, you know, I, on all of these youth, youth expeditions, there's always a youth ambassador that has a really hard time, mm-hmm. right? And isn't going to make it or, or may not make it. And, and what I try to explain to them is, look at it. It's how you reinvent yourself when the chips are down. It's how you come back from something. And it's how you commit um, to at least giving the completion of your goals a true uh, opportunity, you know, that's really how you're going to define your experience, right? And so that same thing happened to me. So I had to live by those words. So, so I guess you know, there's a little bit of taking stock in why I'm there in the first place sure. and reminding myself that I chose to be there. Yeah. Would you say a lot of uh, a lot of it is mental? Yeah, you know, for sure. I have a, a little saying that I that it's 90% mental, the other 10% is all in your head. I believe that, <laughs> you know, we transcend the physical when we're doing these things. And, and the reality is, is that at the end of the day, if you're going to run hundred miles, or you're going to run a thousand miles, or you're going to run 5,000 miles. It's going to hurt. I get yeah. news for you. It's not going to be easy the whole time. <laughs> so 
you go beyond you. There's an acceptance, right? There's an acceptance of the physical discomfort that you're going to be in. Now it's like, how are you going to deal with that in mental terms? Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, another thing I noticed, you know, reading about you is, uh, you work a lot for uh, awareness of you know, just shortage of water in a lot of areas here. Um, how did that come about? Well, you know, I, I was on the board of the Ryan's Well Foundation, which is a Canadian-based um, water organization. My wife, Kathy, and I were on the board for five years. And um, before that, with running the Sahara, we found them through running the Sahara. We wanted to work in an organization in Canada that uh, was family-based, local, that we'd be able to help out with. So it was through running the Sahara. I mean, the running the Sahara project, when we made our way across the Sahara, was made into the documentary Running the Sahara. That film was used as a way to raise awareness and funding for the water crisis in North Africa. Mm -hmm. And so Matt Damon and um, a team of people formed H2O Africa. And uh, then they um, combined forces uh, with water.org and continued to deliver, deliver you know, clean drinking water in North Africa. For us, it was, I guess, like a firsthand experience, like seeing the water crisis like you actually see it and i don't mean like okay you're looking at a well and it's dried out or you're looking at people drinking water that's no good it's not it's not it's not it, it goes beyond that it's like the, what you witness from an economic perspective you know everything everything that is based in clean water it, it's unbelievable how um everything is affected by the capacity for people to have clean drinking water mm -hmm. so um I think it really affected us, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah, so that's why when we came back from the Sahara, Kathy and I started volunteering with the Ryan's Well Foundation. It's kind of something you take for granted is just the ability here to just get water, you know, anywhere in your house, really. Yeah, you know, I think if anything, you know, when we were doing running the Sahara, mm -hmm. um, I always see the emotional part of the expedition was the most difficult because you do see people, it's not... It's not a judgy thing. It's not like, oh, we should appreciate what we have more. Mm -hmm. It's not something like that. It's that we it's it's sometimes we we lose stock or we forget that it's the people that we love and we surround ourselves with. Yeah. The health of our those people that our health, these things are very important. They're vital to happiness in life. Right. Yeah. And true happiness doesn't come from necessarily buying a brand new iPad when it comes out. It, it comes from. You know your uh, children, or your your mother, or your sister, or your brother, or whoever, and your important person in your life, your partner, that they're healthy and they're happy, and that you're smiling, and and you got. Think about it. The last time you went out with your friends and you had a great meal, mm -hmm. right? And you had conversation with people that you love and care about, and great food, and everybody's happy, yeah. right? Yeah. It's sort of like that. It's those things, those moments, those times with people. That the health of others and the happiness of others that truly makes you happy, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. There's something about the last question that you asked, but, you know. No, I got it. <laughs> other than water, do you have any other causes that you're passionate about right now and you're kind of trying to direct expeditions and resources and knowledge about? No, just impossible to possible. I mean, okay. this whole concept of, uh, you know, we have three tier words, ins inspiration, education, empowerment. And it's really about giving young people an opportunity to learn um, and become passionate about learning and uh, become passionate about adventure and, and become passionate about life. 
I was a little unclear about, did you mention you had classroom links for this sort of thing? Or is it just for the learning experience for the ambassadors themselves? No, it's a great question. So say we go okay. on a youth expedition, okay? Uh, we did Utah uh, a couple of years ago. And, and because we were running across Utah in the desert, the Grand Staircase, Escalante, we decided that that was a perfect opportunity to teach the subject of dinosaurs, the rise of the dinosaurs. So as our four or five youth ambassadors ran across Utah, they used their adventure as a thread that would tell the story of the rise of the dinosaurs in that region. So daily they had exercises like digging for dinosaur bones with paleontologists or whatever, studying fossils. And each day of the expedition was turned into a module. Each module was uploaded to a live website. And then there was daily broadcasts into classrooms using our satellite device. So students around the world, you can have tens of thousands keyed in on the other end, would participate in the daily curriculum using the youth expedition, their daily runs, as the thread, the interesting thread that tied together the story of dinosaurs in Utah. So by virtue of these five kids running across the Grand Staircase, mm -hmm. schools are learning about the Grand Staircase and they're learning about the dinosaurs that once lived in that region. Does that make sense? No, so that's it's sort of like a, it's awesome. a live curriculum that's happening, you know? Well, it's like a somewhat of a learning pipeline. It's uh, like a multi-tiered approach. That's always really nice to be able to see that you can have the people who you're essentially allowing the ambassadors to have this experience to be, you know, pushing that knowledge forward to like another group of students and children, I guess. That's really, is that kind yeah, of the idea? Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> okay. Totally. It's an, you got a nail on that. It's an experiential learning model is essentially what we call it. So while they're out there, um, you know, Bree, when you were in uh, Botswana, what were we studying in Botswana again? Um, it was focused around water, but also in how, um, like, there's resilience to life in the area. Okay, yeah, and ag water and agriculture, too, I think we did it. So, you know, as they made their way, they mm -hmm. learned about that and then shared their stories with uh, classrooms. So that's that's so how did you I'm just kind of curious I went to a small liberal arts school and we had something that's similar to a J term which is what they have in Minneapolis or like Minnesota schools we had a May term where we had something similar where we went up to Alaska kayaked around um, studied the Exxon Valdez oil spill but I think the piece that was kind of missing was this like we just wrote up papers for our own class project and it definitely changed my life and it got me into adventuring but to have a piece where we would have been you know kind of teaching um, school children or sharing our experience with school children blows my mind. How did you come up with that idea? Well, because in running the Sahara, we had a film crew, right? Oh, okay. And, 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 and they filmed our expedition. And at the same time, there was a live website and the website tracked the expedition. And I thought to myself, well, that's really cool. People at home can see what we're doing and they get an idea. And then eventually there's going to be a movie about it. And I thought, that's a really interesting concept. And I thought, I want to turn this into a learning tool. And so the idea was, and, and, and when I first came up with it, I said, it's got to be live, though. It's got to be live mm -hmm. film, live. And, and people were like, well, no, you can't do that because there's no way to do that. And I said, there's got to be a way to do it. <laughs> and we learned that through satellite, there's a way to do it. Now, it's, it's, it's expensive, sure. but it's worth it because the experience is so much more real. Yeah. You know, when you invest in the experience with young people, they get it because they speak in terms of technology that my generation doesn't completely get, right? And yeah. so, you know, when you're when you're able to take an adventure, when you have a peer to peer, so you're sitting in a classroom, you're 15, 16 years old, 14, a 14 year old can easily relate to a 16 year old. You're yeah. sitting in your classroom and you're watching young people, pretty much your age, running yeah. like whatever, a marathon a day across sure, Tunisia, sure. 
learning about water or running through the Amazon jungle, learning about biodiversity, you're like, that is crazy that they're there. So right away, your right. ears are open and your mind is open to the possibilities because someone your own age is the explorer, right? So that's sort of the whole idea. And making it a live teaching tool, to me, just made sense because of my experience in the Sahara. I learned so much about the Sahara. Through an adventure, why not give young people the opportunity to be teachers and purveyors of a story um, and have young people on the other end be the the people that are, uh, you know, the studiers of the subject yeah. that these young people are sharing, right? No, that's that's really... Yeah, I, I don't have the words for it. That It's kind of mind-blown. Really cool. Um, I have a completely unrelated question, and anybody who's been listening to the podcast knows that almost ever since I've been on, I have been injured. Uh, and so when you're talking about how great your day can be when you could just go out for a run, I was like, Ugh, I can't do that anymore. Have you ever dealt with any like like real injuries, and how have you for gotten sure. Because some of them aren't just mental. like. I mean, I think when you're in the actual race, of course, most of it's mental. But like sometimes, especially as we get older, our bodies break down and you actually have to take that time off. Like what keeps you going in those moments and what did you do to come back if you have it? So if I can if I can be nosy, what's your injury? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's really, really core related. It's been a long time coming. It's pelvis okay. hip issues. So it's super slow building back up. Um I'm on a I'm on a healing track now, but there's been quite a bit of frustration. So so in in 2013, I tore my abdominals and I injured mm-hmm. my QL when I was mm-hmm. running across the Gobi Desert in 2013. Yeah, the QL. QL is like yeah. my like okay. that's the thing that tightens up and makes my life just horrible. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I know exactly the pain you feel. It's like this dead, gross pain that happens in your back, and you're like, yeah. it's just it's an agonizing. Yeah. Pain. Exactly. So, I, you know, since 2013, <laughs> off and on, I've dealt with that. And I do very specific core movements. I've done multiple expeditions since then. Listen, when I'm when I'm going, when I'm starting over, I just got back from my expedition a week and a half ago. And I started over from the baseline, you know, mm-hmm. basic core movements, um, you know, muscle sequencing, all of this sort of stuff that, uh, you know, firing pattern stuff to get things working again. What I do is right away when there's an injury, you know, right away. I get my mind into the mode of healing and get my head around the fact that there are no wasted days. So instead of it, the injury getting me depressed and down where all I want to do is sit on the couch and eat a bag of chips, which is hard for me to not want to do that every day anyhow, because I love (laughs) chips. But you know, when, in order that I don't do that, what I do is I Uh automatically get myself into a proactive mode. So I do what I can do during the day. You got the core issue. Okay. Well, start looking at nutrition. You yeah. eat in the healthiest, cleanest oh, way yeah. you possibly can. You start doing other things in and around um, your sport so mm-hmm. that you can be ready for mm-hmm. the day that you can start running again. You dig what I'm saying? So yeah, the way I, I look sure. at it and the way I approach it is even in, even in those instances, I try to find the strategies that I can still look at things in a positive light and find a way to work towards that uh that goal of running again as soon as possible yeah that makes i i agree i did similar stuff like my nutrition now like if i when i start running again man i like because if you can't exercise you really have to dial it back like there are no chip days anymore for me but yeah that's helpful trying to once again find small little positives um, towards a long-term goal so yeah and reach out to me offline too and we can talk about your um core stuff as well. Man, yeah, absolutely. I know okay. you're probably working with some good people, but oh, I did. 
Yeah, I found an amazing person, and I think I'm on the path, but I'm always looking for more information from someone who's been yeah. there. As soon as you said awesome. QL, I'm like, I'm definitely contacting you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if any other people have QL issues out there, I can pass along that information too. So. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, we're all here to help each other, I guess. <laughs> totally. Get us all That's back out running, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Ray, any big major plans coming up here? Well, we've got our big youth expedition yeah. happening, you know, as I said. And, and, you know, for me, I just got back from this this big Arctic project. And, uh, you know, I'm ready to, um, you know, start looking ahead to other projects. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, nothing's solidified yet, but stay tuned is what I always say. And I have a Facebook page. It's it's just my name. It's like a page page. So it's got like a little blue check beside me. I'm never on my – I have two pages. I have a private page, which I'm never on. So I'd encourage people if they get a chance and they want to follow along – Go to my, you know, my public page, Raise Ahab, and then, um, you know, I'm always posting stuff there. So whenever something's coming up and and whatever, but our youth expedition is the next really big thing that I'm sure. excited about. Perfect. All right, I think we're wrapping up here. Um, at the end, we like to just ask the guest five completely irrelevant random questions. Are you down for that? Sure. Really quick wrap. Yeah, here. totally. All right. Love it. Uh, I'm gonna let Brianna go first. All right. What was your favorite song that you listened to while running across the Sahara? You know, I bounced around about this. I, I had an album. It was the Alison Krauss and Union Station Live album, for sure. It was the, my favorite music that I listened to in this era. There was tons of music, but that album, and I still listen to that album today. I like all kinds of music. I like everything, but that album in particular, for one reason or another. Awesome. Know. I don't know that album, but I'll have to look it up now. It's great. <laughs> it's bluegrass. I mean, I like I listen to everything from hip hop to hard rock to southern rock to bluegrass. I listen to everything. I love everything. Perfect. All right, Elizabeth. Uh, what's your favorite expedition you've done? Oh, that's a tough one. I, you know, the place I keep going back to. Look at you know I, I did a solo. You know, I I ran north to south through the Atacama Desert, 800 miles. That was pretty amazing because I was in places where no one had been. That was really neat. But I'd have to say. Maybe, uh, you know, I, being up on Baffin Island, I've done multiple expeditions across Baffin Island, and and that place, I just love that place so much, you know. So, I'll, I'll go with that project. All right. All right. Uh, it seems like you've kind of been all over the place, but is there somewhere you haven't been yet that you'd like to go? Well, I would love to cross the Arabian Desert, but oh. it's not, you know, stable right now. I'd love to do oh. that. Um, and I'd love to do a North Pole unsupported, but you know, with uh, yeah. the way that the world has changed, the ice is no longer stable, so mm -hmm. it's not, you know. Sure. Anyhow, so, but yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, the world's such an amazing place. There's so many places to see. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Dane, I'm not giving you a straight answer, but I know. You know. <laughs> you you don't want to fall through the ice more. Just one time was enough. Exactly. <laughs> once was enough. <laughs> All right, Brianna. All right. All right. Question number four. Yeah. Um, if you could run with anyone from history, who would it be? Terry Fox. There you yes. go. Yes. <laughs> Julio would like that answer too. I know. Yes, like he that. would. Yep. Uh, Elizabeth, last one. Uh, do you have a good one, Kevin? Mine's just like kind of a standard lamo one. No, I didn't even have one. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, you're gonna make me do it. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite post-expedition meal? You know, I love I love salmon for sure. I okay. love a ton of salmon, just salmon with like <laughs> piles of avocado on top of it. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, 
All right, Ray, thank you so and, much for coming. And a back. bag of chips, maybe, on the couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, perfect. Sprinkled on top. There you go. All right, Ray, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great night. No, yeah, too. thank you. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye.